And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the, well, it's it's the Monday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Glad you're here today. Well, lots of stuff to get into, of course. After four days of a slide in the stock market last week, people are panicking now. All of a sudden, it's it's uh, you know back to uh, we're in a bear market crash. I'm already getting you know tons of emails saying you know is it over yet? And you know this is one of the things that we've talked about here, is, is, and is always important is to keep things into perspective. Is that we've only had a correction back to the 50-day moving average at this point. Yeah. There's a lot of things under pressure right now. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, a lot of the previous kind of momentum trades have really lost a lot of their luster. You know, it was interesting last week. We were talking about ARK Investments here on the show, and I'd made a couple of comments about it. And I got a call from uh, one of the wholesalers from from ARK Investments wanting to talk to me. Uh, So, you know... Hey, you know, look, it's your fund. I have nothing to do with it, you know, so don't get mad at me just because this fund's down 45% this year. So, you know, look, it's just a function. In fact, you know, most ARK investors are now underwater in their investment. And, you know, this is just a function of markets, right? We have a big risk on type of attitude in the markets, and we had that. And, you know, now things are starting to change here, right? So a lot of this, you know, exuberance that we had that, that started, you know, early last year, um, you know, think about what drove that. And that's kind of one of the big, you know, kind of the big things that, that we really need to kind of focus on is the things that supported the markets rally in, in 2021. It wasn't just, you know, people were just happy to buy stocks. There was a lot of input into that started in 2020. We had $1,400 checks to households twice, $900 checks to households. We had extended unemployment benefits. And in that time frame, we saw you know people turning away from using debt. They were actually paying off their credit cards. Now, not the bottom 80% of credit card users. No, they were still putting on credit card debt. But the top 10, 20% of the economy that had a lot of excess income at that point, a lot of excess uh, liquidity because you know, they weren't going out, they weren't shopping, they weren't traveling, so they paid off some of their credit. And and this, we, we saw that reverse. Now that's starting to come back in the other direction, right? As wages do increase here, unfortunately, wage increases aren't keeping up with the cost of living, pushing more and more people kind of into that box of having to make a decision about what to buy, what to spend, where to put their money. And, and this has a reflection back on the stock market, that liquidity is coming out. And so a lot of what was driving a lot of the speculative attitude in 2021, and we had, look, we had record IPOs, record SPACs. In fact, this is the article we've got on our website this morning. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, we're talking about, you know, 2021 was a speculative year. Will we repeat that in 2022? That's the question, right? Can we keep it up? And, you know, for that, we've got to have the same environment that we had, right? We had zero interest rates. We had the Fed providing $120 billion in QE every month. We had, you know, all this liquidity that it hit households and they were spending that in the economy. So earnings were great for companies, right? We had companies with just fantastic earnings over the last couple of quarters, in particular, as the economy got back on track. Well, now we're moving into fourth quarter earnings season. That begins this week, really. 
And we're going to start hearing from the, the major banks to start with, and then we're going to start working through the rest of the markets. But you know what investors are going to be really focusing on is the ability of these companies to actually generate earnings growth. Now, earnings expectations are very high right now. Expectations for the end of this year are like $210 a share. So a very, very lofty expectation for earnings growth over the next 12 months. So, you know, again, you know, companies are going to have to do a lot in order to attain that, that, that earnings value. That's going to result in kind of two things here. Now, one of them is bullish for the stock market. That's stock buybacks. Apple, as a good example, just recently hit a $3 trillion market cap. I mean, just a, you know, a pretty phenomenal growth of this company as an example. Apple has doubled its market value in just the last couple of years. Now, have they doubled their sales in the last couple of years? Well, no, no, nowhere close to that. But this is a company in particular that has a very prolific history of buying back shares. In fact, they've bought back about half a trillion dollars worth of shares of the company. They spent almost $500 billion buying back their own shares of company of their, of their stock. So now when they buy back their shares of stock, that improves their earnings per share. So they spent $500 billion of cash. Now that cash could have been used to go buy another company. I mean, look, $500 billion, you go buy Tesla, right? So, you know, you, you spend $500 billion, you go buy another company or several companies that create long-term value growth for the business versus buying back shares, which is a one-time impact to bottom line earnings. And then, of course, that money's gone. Now, they spent $500 billion to reduce their earnings per share so their earnings per share look better. And of course, that was what investors were buying. It's like, man, look at earnings per share for Apple. They're fantastic. Let's buy more shares of Apple. And Apple has had a terrific run over the last couple of years. Actually, the last four years in particular has been quite phenomenal. And if we take a look at really the top 10 stocks of the S&P, right, they've made up about 35% of the market cap of the S&P 500 and have contributed about 65% of the total growth of the S&P last year. I mean, the vast majority of the growth in the S&P and the NASDAQ came out of the top 10, top 20 stocks of those indexes. In fact, once you look below the surface of the NASDAQ as an example, and this was in our weekend's newsletter, there's a very big chunk of the NASDAQ, which those stocks are down almost 50% this year, uh, this last year. So, Again, underneath the surface, there's a tremendous amount of damage going on within the markets, but the markets themselves look fine because, well, the big major stocks are holding everything up, right? They're kind of suspended in midair. So going into this year, this is why earnings, and particularly starting this month, we're going to start looking at fourth quarter earnings, but going into next year. Uh, when we start looking at first quarter earnings in, in April, and then, of course, uh, after that, you know, can these companies continue to generate the type of earnings growth to support these valuations that they currently trade at in an environment where there's less liquidity, higher inflation, these type of issues, uh, these, these headwinds that will impinge upon the outlook for earnings growth in the future? Because remember, when we get back to all of this, what drives expectations for stock prices is the expectation for earnings growth. And if there is a change in the environment that creates an expectation for lower rates of earnings growth, stocks will begin to adjust prices accordingly. So that's the thing that we want to keep a watch on. Now, 
you know, how that happens, when it happens, uh, you know, that's that's the unknown part, right? Could happen this quarter, next quarter, quarter after, who knows? But that's what you want to be watching for. And again, when you start thinking about where we are in the current economic environment. Now, Nancy Pelosi this morning, headline out saying there's an opportunity now to do more virus aid, right? We need to have more money back into the economy because people are fighting Omicron now. So, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> this, is the, this is the big point. So things can change. And this is my big point about this, is that right now, if everything remains status quo, there are more headwinds than tailwinds as we go into 2022 for the stock market. But that could very well change, right? Another round of virus stimulus spending from the government. The Fed reverses course on their rate hikes, reverses course on QE because of, well, weaker than expected earnings growth, economic growth, etc. So, you know, nothing is set in stone. And this is kind of the big part for managing your portfolio and your money in this environment. Understand that things are changing and there's certainly risk ahead of us. But that doesn't mean it absolutely is going to wind out that way. And we'll talk about more of that after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for Real Investment Advice. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, 6.17 as we get this uh, Monday edition of the Real Investment Show underway. So a couple of things to, uh, you know, think about. And as we were talking about in the open is that we're about to move into the fourth quarter earnings season now. So this is going to be where we'll start hearing from uh, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America this week. And seeing what they say about their earnings in the fourth quarter now. Of course, the things that we want to focus on there are net interest margin for the banks. You know, is that improving? Are they able to charge more for loans? Um, this is going to be much more challenging when the Fed begins to hike interest rates, which is an expense to them, right? So um, we'll see what how this works out. But 10-year Treasury rates have been coming up lately. That's good for banks because that means they can charge more for loans. And, you know, this is, you know, will help them. And to some degree. Now, once we get further into reporting season, we'll start getting into a lot of these kind of high flyer tech stocks from last year that have really been beaten up a lot over the course of the last few months. Um, you know, whether it's companies like Palantir, Asana, Snowflake, a lot of these others are Etsy, uh, Pinterest, they've all been under tremendous amount of pressure. And of course, you know, we were talking about, you know, ARK investments in, in the last segment. And and they're just a proxy, right? I mean, and again, I'm not picking on that ETF or Kathy Wood. I'm not picking on her at all, you know, but it's just a function that that particular set of ETFs 
were very thematic in nature, right? So the you know the space adventures and um, you know the the Ark Innovation Fund. These were going to be the new disruptor companies. And look, you know, get it, right? But there is a point to where these companies have to make real real money, real earnings. And we may be to that point where investors become. I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying that we may be getting to the point to where investors are going to become a little bit more discriminatory about where they invest their capital and particularly starting to invest capital in companies that have a, a bit better fundamental underpinning. They actually make income uh, for companies. They may, you know, I'm just saying investors may be becoming a bit more choosy um, in an environment where the Fed is potentially hiking rates uh, in, a, in an economy where we have inflation, uh, in an economy where we have less liquidity, um, these, these could start to weigh on some of these more risky names. Now, look, a lot of these stocks are already down 40 50% from their 52-week highs. So uh, there's been a lot of correction in these areas, the ARC fund itself is is down 40%. Um, as of, I think, last week, it actually hit a, hit a drawdown of, of 45% from its high. So, you know, you know, here's a fund that's lost about half its value. So you, you can argue that there's already been a lot of correction in these names. Yet when you look at the, and this is kind of the interesting aspect, right? If you look below the surface of the index, you know, you've got a lot of these stocks that are trading well off their highs, well into bear markets, right? If we went back to 2008 or 2001 and two, and, and you said, hey, hey, Lance, what's the index doing? Because there's 50% of the stocks, you know, that are down now, 30, 40, 50%. You've got 50% of the indexes in bear markets. What do you think the overall index is doing? I'd say, well, the index is in a bear market. And in 19 and in, and in 2001 and two and in 2008, that would have been exactly correct. Today, however, because there's so much money hiding in these big cap liquid names, Apple, Facebook, etc. And by the way, we you know Facebook changed its name to Metaverse. It's got you know. You can't you can't call it the mangs, okay? It just doesn't have the same flair as Fang, right? So you know, for the purpose of this show, it's going to be Facebook, okay? You can change your name, you know. It's like it's like a tiger trying to change its stripes, you're, you know. You're still a tiger, so Facebook is still Facebook. You can change your name; it's not going to get rid of your bad image anyway, and it's not going to make young people use you. So, <laughs> but anyway, companies like Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, they're doing fine, right? They're down a little bit off their highs at this point, but there's a lot of money hiding in those stocks because they're highly liquid. They actually have earnings growth. Now, they're expensive, no doubt about that, but money can hide there because I can put money into Apple, Facebook, you know, et cetera, and I can get it out without really moving the price too much. And some of these smaller companies, if I try to put money into it to a large degree, and this is the problem for portfolio managers and hedge funds, et cetera, if I put millions of dollars into one of these companies, I can't get it out because when I try to take it out, it just collapses the price of the stock because there's no liquidity. 
And liquidity is one of the big issues of the markets right now. And this is, this is a problem that's been created by passive indexing. I've got an article coming out on this here soon. But, and, and we'll talk some more about that, uh, you know, in a few minutes. But, you know, here, the, the problem, as I said, is that, as, as, you know, today, because these big cap names make up such a large chunk of the index, the index is near its all-time highs, but yet you've got a big chunk of the index that are in bear markets. And, it, and it's a very interesting situation because there's no precedent to where we can look back and say, has this ever been the case before and what happened? Did previously, when we had a function where you know 10 or 20 stocks are holding up the entire index while the rest of the index is in a bear market, did the bottom half of the index come roaring back and the top index just kind of hang around? Or did finally investors give up on the big names and you got into a big bear market? See, we've never been here before to go look back at history and say, what was the outcome of that? We've never had this situation. So we don't know how this turns out. Maybe, maybe all of a sudden, you know, investors start buying these beaten up names and we have a big rally back in those names and the major names just kind of sit around and do nothing. And then we kind of resume the next, you know, and then they get worked off in price just by going sideways while the bottom catches up and then we continue the, the bull market. I don't know. Or maybe ultimately the top give way. And the generals stop leading. The problem with that is, is that you will then have a bear market in the index, even though underneath the surface, you may have a lot of buying going on in these small beaten up names. Maybe, maybe they just all go down even further. Maybe some of these companies that are in the markets right now that came out through things like SPACs and IPOs recently that have no income, maybe, I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just throwing out examples, maybe, Turns out to be a 1999-2000 situation where a lot of these companies won't, be, won't even be around in the next two years. Mergers, acquisitions, going out of business, etc. I don't know. Nobody does. And this is, and this is going to be the real issue as we go into 2022 is that we've got a very you know, interesting changing dynamic and inflation is the, is, is the big game changer. We haven't had inflation to this degree since the late 70s. We haven't had an environment in the last 30 years where inflation was inflicting such a large impact on both the economy and the markets at the same time. Rising inflation is going to impact profit margins. Rising inflation will, uh, will affect companies' ability to sell more product. Consumers are going to have a problem buying more product because of inflation. So, again, we haven't had this situation previously. We've not had a Fed hiking rates and reducing their balance sheet with real inflation to where inflation was a real problem. Wage inflation is a problem. You know, wage inflation is an interesting dynamic because on one side you say, well, wage inflation is good because people are making more money. True. Wage inflation is bad because it impacts the profit margins of businesses and they wind up laying off people because they can't afford them. Wage inflation 
is good because it gives people more money to spend, but wage inflation is not good when inflation is running hotter than the wages and people are having to turn back to credit card debt, et cetera. And they're not buying more volume of stuff. They're just paying more for it. So, you know, the, you know, wage inflation has really, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword and, you know, there's good aspects and bad aspects to it, and they counterbalance each other. And the question is, is whether or not companies can withstand this. And more importantly, the Federal Reserve doesn't make a major policy error by tightening too much. Because now, again, here you've got inflation, which is going to slow economic growth. Because just as I said, wage inflation impacts companies, so they have to reduce their hiring in order to maintain their, their profit margins, they got to raise prices. As they raise prices, people that are buying those products are having to spend more to buy the same amount of product. Think about going to the store, gasoline, et cetera. You don't buy more stuff. You just pay more for it. And that eats up more of their discretionary income. So, you know, they have problems. And they begin to reduce consumption. Reducing consumption impacts economic growth. When economic growth slows down, then corporate profit margins slow down, and their situation becomes more dire. So they start laying off more people because they've got weaker economic growth. It's a vicious cycle. And then you've got the Fed hiking rates, intentionally trying to slow economic activity to try to pull down inflation at the same time kind of throwing fuel on the fire, so to speak. Historically, outcomes have not been good for the markets or for the economy. Maybe this time will be different. Don't want to be bearish. It just hasn't been before. Not saying the market's going to crash, but I'm certainly saying that we need to be a lot more careful about where we're putting our money when it comes to markets. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. So talking about, you know, this impact of passive investing on the markets and, you know, this, uh, you know, what kind of it to, to look for as we start to move into 2022 20, uh, in particular. So first of all, you know, when we talk about this issue of passive investing, this is this is 
a, a real change to what's happening in markets. And, and one of the primary reasons why we have this issue we, uh, that we discuss quite often here called the lack of liquidity. And first of all, let me step back for a second. Let's just talk about the lack of liquidity. We've, just, we've explained this before, but just so that you understand what that is. You know, the markets are dependent upon a buyer and a seller. And we tend to forget this kind of in the heat of the moment. But every time you want to buy a stock in the market, somebody has to be willing to sell it to you. And both sides of the transaction think they're smarter than the other person. Now, if, if there was always a buyer, now think about this for a moment. Let's say that I go to a flea market. And everything out in the flea market is up for auction. And there's an equal number of buyers and sellers. And they're all willing to transact a buyer, you know, a, a, a transaction at the same dollar value. Then the price of the goods would never would never change. Same thing in the financial markets. There's always a buyer for every seller, but what dictates movement in the market is at what price that transaction occurs. When there's more sellers than you have buyers, buyers will say, yeah, everybody wants to sell. I'm willing to buy it, but I'm going to buy it cheaper, right? I want a discount. Think about when, you know, and this is the, the always the interesting thing about the stock market is everyday individuals buy stuff, right? And they go online, they, they search around for the lowest price. I want the lowest price on every deal. But when it comes to stocks, you'll pay any price for it, right? I just, I just want it, got to have it. Don't care what the cost is. I'll buy it. But in the markets, when there's a lot of sellers, buyers are going, yes, I'll buy it, but I'm going to buy it down here. And the reverse of that, what we saw last year, is there weren't a lot of sellers. Nobody was wanting to sell anything they owned because everything was going up in price. So buyers were going, okay, I'll, I'll you know, I really, really want to buy your shares of whatever company. So I'm going to give you this astronomical price for it because I got to have them. And so they got to offer you enough of a price so that you'll sell them. And that's what causes the markets to rise. Okay, so that's just the basic understanding of liquidity. Always got to be a buyer and a seller. Now, if there is a situation, and, that, and this is specifically what we're talking about, where sellers show up in mass, and we saw this several times last year, where the market would open down and be down for the day, you know, one and a half or two percent a day, just a sharp drop. That was because all these sellers showed up one morning and the buyers are going, yeah, I'll buy them two percent cheaper. And everybody's like, okay, I'll I'll give you the discount. And so they were selling stocks down, you know, you know, stocks were down in the day eight, nine, ten percent, twelve percent, and people are going, What what just happened to my company? Right? My 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 good stock. I really like this company. Why is it down 12, 15% today? Because that's where buyers were willing to buy it. They weren't willing to buy it at yesterday's price where you owned it. That's liquidity. Now, what causes that lack of liquidity and what's exacerbating that lack of liquidity are, are ETFs, this passive indexing. So let me explain this as simply as I can. So first of all, let's just talk about a stock like Apple. As a good, you know, Apple's a good stock to look at. So on one side of the ledger, I've got all these people that are buying shares of Apple individually, right? So you have these millions of people that all own Apple shares in their portfolio. 
Then I've got 356 ETF or 300, sorry, 363 ETFs that all own Apple. And they own a lot of Apple because these are, are big multi-billion dollar ETFs. So they they have, you know, a hundred million dollars worth of Apple in their ETF. So all these individuals over here are buying the iShares S&P 500 ETF or whatever it is, large cap ETF, Apple's in it. So every time somebody puts money into that ETF, that ETF has to now go buy shares of Apple, which provides another buyer for Apple. Now, again, I've already got all these people over here that own Apple. They're not wanting to sell it. And now I've got this ETF wanting to buy more Apple which is driving the price up because sellers are going, yeah, I'll sell you some of my Apple, but you're going to have to pay me more for it, right? So prices go up. And this is all fine and dandy as long as prices are going up and nobody's selling Apple. The problem comes, and this is really what we saw back in March of 2020, why was the 35% correction in March of 2020 so swift? It was because of the passive indexing problem, this lack of liquidity. So a correction starts to come and people go, I'm going to sell my Apple. So these millions of people over here that all own Apple individually, they say, I'm going to sell some of my Apple. So they start selling it. But there's no buyers because now everybody wants to sell their Apple because it's too overpriced. Nobody's wanting to buy it at the current price. So the price has to come down to find some buyers. So while all these individuals over here are selling their shares of Apple, trying to find what relatively few buyers are out there, all the millions of people that own these large cap ETFs with Apple in it also say, well, I better sell some of my ETF. Well, they go to sell their ETF, and in order to get a redemption on the fund value, the fund, the ETF has to go out and sell their shares of Apple. So now you've got double the layer of the sales of Apple going on, and you still have no buyers. That's the lack of liquidity. And the risk is ultimately, and, and you know, unfortunately, we used to have bear markets that lasted, you know, 12, 18 months. And in the midst of that 12, 18 month drawdown, you had counter trend rallies that you could sell into. And so once you realize you're in a bear market, you go, okay, the trend of the market has changed. I'm in a bear market. I need to be more defensive. I need to short the market, whatever I'm going to do. Good, healthy market. You no longer have that option. Because once the selling begins, because of this lack of liquidity, It'll be much like we saw in March of 2020, where in just the course of three weeks, the markets are down 35%. You never had a chance. You never had a counter-trend rally to sell into. It just went down and kept going down, and we were opening, the markets were opening down on the Dow two, 3,000 points in a day. And people are like going, oh my gosh, what's going on here? That's that lack of liquidity. And that'll happen again. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that's going to happen next week, this year, whatever. I'm not saying that, okay? There's a lot of uh, 
a lot of stuff going on in the markets right now. I'm seeing a lot of articles, people going, oh, the next, you know, the market's going to crash. We're going to have a, you know, 40% drawdown. It, it's possible, right? But you got, you've got to have a catalyst. You can't just, you know, the markets aren't just going to magically wake up one day and be down 40%. You need a catalyst. And generally, that catalyst is credit related. There's a freeze in the credit markets to some uh, or some effect, right? And this is why we always have, you know, it's always interesting to me. The Fed says, uh, all of our major banks are very healthy, lots of liquidity. And every time there's a crash in the markets, we've got to go bail them out because they've got no liquidity. Figure that out. But this lack of liquidity caused by passive indexing is a problem. And unfortunately, as an investor, you're going to have to try to be preemptive and recognize when that lack of liquidity is becoming a problem. Here's the other problem with all of this. As I said in the last segment, inflation is now a problem. And we haven't had a period in time where the Fed was hiking rates and tapering their balance sheet and had rampant inflation all at the same time. The expectation by investors is that if we get a market sell-off and we're going down 15, 20, 25 percent, 30 percent, that the Fed's going to turn around and just automatically start dumping in trillions of dollars of liquidity into the markets. That's the expectation. And why wouldn't they? They've always done it before. Now, I'm not making a prediction here, okay? I'm just talking through some logic. And I'm not saying that the Fed won't come in with more QE and immediately turn around and drop rates back to zero. Financial stability is very important to the Fed. All I'm saying is this time is different from the standpoint that now they've got to make a decision between spiking rates of inflation which is their primary mandate, price stability and full employment, or bailing out the financial markets when you have inflation. So the thing I think we need to be careful of as investors is betting on an absolute certainty that the Fed is going to be very responsive to a decline in the markets when, in fact, they may choose to battle inflation first let the decline of the market impact and create deflationary pressures in the economy because of psychology, and then come back after a lot more devastation has occurred to start bailing out the financial system. I'm not saying that's the case. Just talking logic here and just trying to think ahead of what we may need to be, be, be preparing for as an investor. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
and welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. All right, futures are pointing down this morning. We're down about uh, half a percent on the S&P this morning. Uh, yields on 10-year treasuries running about 1.7 right now. Bitcoin down about another 2% today. That's been under a lot of pressure, down from 60 to 41,000 on Bitcoin. Now, that's an interesting story simply because, you know, this goes back to our conversations previously about Bitcoin. I'm not a, I'm not anti-Bitcoin, right? I, I think it's fine. It's a speculative asset and you can certainly buy it. And maybe in a, a decade or so, maybe it will be part of our financial ecosystem. You know, I don't know. I, I don't have that much visibility into the world. You know, a lot of people are absolutely convinced that the majority of transactions in this country will be dominated by cryptocurrency in the next 10 years may be the case, right? I just, I don't have that kind of visibility. I've seen things come and go in the past that people were absolutely certain were going to be, you know, game-changing events for the economy, and they weren't. And I've seen other stuff come along, people go, that's stupid, and then it changed the economy. FedEx is a good example of that. Who needs packages overnight? Right? Fax machine. Fax machine was considered, you know, like, that's a stupid idea. Who needs to fax stuff to people? Just mail it to them, right? Those things change the world. That internet thing, not so sure. That may still be a fad. We'll see. <laughs> but, you know, as, you know, talking about game changing, you know, things that are going on, Beyond Meat had come out and, recently, you know, kind of shocked the markets with this idea of more plant-based food. And we need to, as, a, as an economy, quit eating cows because they fart and buy more chicken because I guess they don't. And then I guess plants are even better. So Beyond Meat made a real splash in the food arena as well as the stock market. And then subsequently has fallen about 50% in price because, well, demand for the product is falling. And, you know, it's interesting. There was a there was a funny kind of a funny meme going around here for a while that, you know, during the COVID shutdown, you went to the store and you couldn't find any food on the shelves. Right. I mean, just everything was sold out except for the vegan alternative shelves, which were completely full. Right. I mean, it was like untouched. I, I am so hungry. I will eat the rear end out of a rhino, but I won't eat beyond meat. OK. Not buying it. <laughs> Not me personally, I'm just saying. So it's interesting today. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I do watch my diet. I eat I eat healthily. Um my wife is convinced I need to live to be I need to outlive Betty White. And so she makes sure I exercise regularly and do what I gotta do to stay healthy. And but look. Exercising is great. Eating healthy is great. But if you do that and don't every once in a while have a splurge or some, you know, enjoyment in life, what's the purpose, right? My tombstone would read, I look fantastic, but I was miserable. <laughs> All I wanted was a cupcake, right? But you know, so so you do these things. So every now and then you can splurge and do these things. And look, I, 
you know, I was born in the South, raised in the South, and I love fried chicken, right? My mom used to make the best fried chicken on the planet. She learned the, the recipe from my grandmother, who used to literally, I used to go to my grandmother's house growing up, and she'd say, well, what do you want for lunch? And we would, everybody would say fried chicken because my grandmother made the best homemade fried chicken. And she'd go out in the backyard, grab two chickens by the necks and, you know, swirl them in a circle, pop their heads off. And we had fried chicken for lunch, right? And if you ever heard that story about, or that saying about, you know, a chicken running around with its head cut off, they really do that. <laughs> it's spooky. <laughs> Traumatizing when you're six. <laughs> But fried chicken's good. So I don't go to Colonel Sanders for the 11 secret herbs and spices for no good reason, right? I go there because, you know, I like the fried chicken, right? Popeyes, it doesn't matter. I'm not real picky when it comes to fried chicken, as long as it's fried and it's chicken. I don't go to Colonel Sanders for fried beyond meat. And that's what's happening today. Uh, Colonel Sanders, a.k.a. the king. I'm, I'm reading this from Yahoo Finance, by the way. Colonel Sanders, I, a.k.a. the king of 11 herbs and spices, probably didn't see the, a day coming when the first KFC franchise opened in 1952. Today, the fried chicken joint will launch nationwide plant-based chicken from Beyond Meat. Here's the caveat. For a limited time. Why for a limited time? Well, they're going to see if anybody wants it, right? If you take a look at sales of Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat from you know, Burger King, McDonald's, etc., those sales aren't going well. And that's why the stock is down, Beyond Meat stock is down 43% in the past year. And you know they, they want to blame it on pandemic-related challenges. No, it's just that people want to eat meat. <laughs> You know, you know the, and look, I'm not saying that there's not a very small there is a there is a segment of the population that eats beyond meat and vegetarian. You know, so look, I do, too. Right. You, you come to my house, you look in my freezer, there's stuff for morning farms in, in our freezer. Right. So, you know, vegetarian sausage, vegetarian, uh, you know, hamburgers, those type of things. And, and we eat that as part of our diet. But I'm weird. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of people in the world. I'm, I'm part of a very and I'm not I'm not. A, look, let me be clear. I'm not 100 percent vegan by any stretch of the imagination. Had steak and chicken for dinner last night. That's a good example. Um, but, you know, vegan veganism makes up a small part of my overall diet process to maintain calorie count and health there's a very small part of the population that are truly all vegan. You're trying to sell a product to a very small part of the population and you're running valuations as if you're going to replace meat entirely. And that was just never the case. So yes, the stock is down 43%, not surprising, but we've seen these things before. And I, you know, and I talk about the importance of valuations and earnings and revenue. As an example, right? And we've talked about, you know, Tesla, right? Uh, there's a great chart out on Tesla over the weekend showing the market cap of Tesla versus every other automaker in the world. And they're the same. Tesla has the same market cap currently as every other automaker in the world. Now, what does that say? Now, just talk about market cap for a second. What does that say? 
if every other automaker in the com in the world is, is fairly valued, and I'm not saying that they are, but just assuming they are, then that means that Tesla has to sell as many cars as every other automaker combined to justify its current valuation. The problem is, is they don't sell more cars than any one of the other automakers in the world. They don't get close. So the problem ultimately is, is that as investors, we have ascribed a valuation to a company that is impossible for them to maintain or to attain, I should say. It was the same way with Beyond Meat. It's the same way with a lot of these companies. So, you know, and this is the look, and I'm not saying anything negative about Tesla. I'm not doing this. So don't start emailing me and telling me, you know, what I don't understand that Tesla is a computer company. All right. The point is, is it's an automaker. And we've ascribed a value to it that is not attainable at any point in the future. And we do this during more market-centric psych psychological bubbles that we have to go through. And this is this is part and parcel of our article out today talking about a year in speculation, which was 2021. You know, it's important that you understand that valuations ultimately matter. And so as we start to look out into 2022 and you start thinking about how is my portfolio allocated? What am I taking? You know, what kind of risk am I taking in my portfolio? Are you calculating the importance of valuations? Because at some point, valuations will matter. And they'll matter a lot. And they always do. You know, so... You know, and, and you know, we we talk about, for instance, Chipotle is a, another good example. Now, look, everybody likes a good burrito. Okay, I am not saying that you shouldn't eat a burrito, but Chipotle right now has a valuation of sixty-four times earnings. So, you know, that's a very expensive burrito. And it's a burrito. Now, I, look, and and they're in, and they are in the process right now of chasing Taco Bell. So, you know, their goal is to try to create the same kind of revenue that Taco Bell does. But I can't go to Chipotle and buy 900 tacos for a buck. <laughs> so, and speaking of Taco Bell, is just coming out with a new uh, subscription service. Brent's nodding his head. He's the first subscriber to the Taco Bell subscription service. You can subscribe, get a free taco every day for like 10 bucks a month. All I'm saying, that's why Chipotle will never catch Taco Bell. <laughs> all right, wraps up the show for the day. Hope you enjoyed it. Be back tomorrow for Technically Speaking Tuesday. It's all on our website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. As always, taking your questions and comments there as well. If you need help, happy to do it. 
realinvestmentadvice.com. Just click the Ask a Question uh, form right at the top of the page. realinvestmentadvice.com. Also check out our new platform, simplevisor.com as well. It's all there to help you out, make you a better investor. simplevisor.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.